Good to see all of you this morning. Glad you're here. Glad you've tuned in online. do want to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18. And uh, just also want to put you in mind of one other thing. I mentioned it uh, last week. Uncle Lou is going to be out of town a couple few weeks coming up. There are two in September, one in October. If you would like to step in, step up, and help fill the gap for our Children's Bible Hour, uh, talk with my wife, Kim, after services, and she'll get you plugged in to one of those dates. She's, she knows the date. So, <clears throat> All right. Ezekiel 18. Let's begin reading in verse 20, and we will read to the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the living and true God. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. But if a wicked person turns away from all his sins that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live? None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered, for the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed. For them he shall die. Yet you say, the way of Adonai is not just. Here now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it, for the injustice that he has done. He shall die. Again, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of Adonai is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. Let us pray. We want to see you clearly, Lord. We want to see you as you have revealed yourself in your word. Give us spiritual insight this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And having seen you, may we worship you in all your holiness, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. 
Now remember, the emphasis in Ezekiel 18, the emphases are not new. You have the corporate aspect in view, O house of Israel, and you have the individual aspect in view. Each one of you, each one of your ways, those meet together, and they are not mutually exclusive from one another. And so God is saying, you don't get to blame others for what is occurring and happening in your day. In fact, what is happening, what has come upon you, is because of your sins, O house of Israel. And so they need to be convicted of their sin, and convicted they need to turn from their sin to God for life. And indeed, we see God himself desires for people, for us even, to turn from our sin to him so that we might have life. Now what's going on here is that the people of Israel do not really want God as he really is. You see, that's, that needs to be a key characteristic of the people of God. We, even today, we ought to want God as he really is, not as we think he ought to be. Israel, they developed an idea about God, and it was other than he really was. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, our fathers sinned, we're bearing the punishment for it, and implicit in that is, even though our hands are clean. God has systematically dismantled their concept of who they think he is. Every verse in Ezekiel 18 is God unpacking that, dismantling it, and presenting to them who he really is. And at the end of this clarifying oracle from God is the invitation to turn, to repent, to live. But the people of Israel, not unlike many people today, they love the idol that they have made. They love their image of God. They love the invention of their imagination. And so, as will be seen, they've rejected God's own revelation of His character, of His nature. And instead, when their image of God doesn't fit, they indict Him of injustice. We've talked about verse 20, the soul who sins shall die. There's the individual responsibility. And as we pick up here in verse 21, if a, a wicked person turns from all his sins, the Bible says, all the sins he has committed, if he keeps all my statutes and does what is just, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Those are exclamatory statements. He'll live. He'll not die. That's a good thing. But notice there are two actions involved here. One, turning away from sin, from all sin. But then turning in the second hand, to devotion and obedience to God. Keep all my statutes. Do what is just, what is right. Both of those things are essential. But here's the question. How will, how will a God-hating, sin-loving, rebellious, wicked person repent of all his sins? How's he going to do it? In the immediate context, we get a couple of answers. One, by seeing the wickedness of his father, by fearing God, and by doing otherwise. We saw that in verse 14. 
Or how about verse 28, in examining his own wicked conduct that he has done and turning away from it in holy revulsion. There's more to it, though, as well. In the larger context of the book of Ezekiel, we read back in Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 18 through 20. The Lord speaking, he says, And when they come here, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. That is when when they come to the land of Israel. They're going to take care. They're going to clean house. And verse 19, I will give them a new heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. What they need is a heart transplant. And God says that he will do that. He'll take out the heart of stone and he'll give them the heart of flesh. And with the new heart comes new hatred for all those sins. Comes that holy revulsion of everything they had done. There's new motivation. There are new affections. There's new commitment to keep all my statutes. That is, to walk and to live according to them, to obey them. Verse 22, none of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered. Isn't this wonderful news? When you repent, God forgets. We talked about this. Go back and you can watch the video on YouTube where I talked about how how an omniscient God can forget our sins, and yet he does. He really does. All the sins, all the wickedness that was committed, it's gone. It's forgotten. It is not remembered against him. For the righteousness he has done, he shall live. And now here's God, and we get his disposition. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? It's a rhetorical question. God's disposition towards sinners is that he does not desire the death of the wicked but rather he desires their repentance and their life. It anticipates a a negative response. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? God desires people to repent. (laughs) Yahweh's primary commitment is for life, specifically life with him. Now, again, this is God's dispositional will. It's his dis- he, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so, it expresses God's desire that they repent. But it doesn't mean that all will repent. When people die in their sins, God takes no pleasure in that death. Even though they rebelled against His will. Even though they rejected Him and His word. Even though they've spurned his advances, God still laments that. But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness, here's apostasy pictured, and does injustice, does the same abominations as the wicked person, shall he live? Again, it's a rhetorical question. If past sin is not remembered by the person who repents, well then past righteousness is not remembered for the righteous person who apostatizes who turns away from God. It's a complete revolt against God. It is shaking the fist in rebellion and saying, I'm not going to do things your way anymore. It's a headlong charge into sin and iniquity. 
And so if a righteous person turns away and does the same abomination that the wicked person does, we talked about this last week, the murder, the theft, the adultery, the idolatry, the oppression, and all the rest. Turn away from God's law. He shall die in his sins, and he'll die for his sins, he says there. For them he shall die, verse 24 concludes. What does this mean? It means one generation does not get to store up righteous merit for another generation in some kind of treasury of good deeds and righteousness. It also means that a person doesn't get to store up merits in their own personal treasury so that then later on, They can live like the devil because, hey, I've already done all my good deeds. This idea of relative righteousness, this idea of we have these balanced scales. And, you know, I I did so much righteousness in my early life, it outweighs all the bad stuff I'm doing now. There is no 401k or IRA righteousness account that you can pile up all your good deeds into so that later you can live like the devil In fact, we know all of our righteous deeds are but filthy rags. We don't love God as we ought to. We don't love our neighbor as we ought to. And that is why we must rely upon the perfect righteousness of Christ. Because he did love God the way we ought to. And he did love his neighbor as we ought to. And so we rest and rely upon his righteousness, not our own. And so we get to the objection in verse 25. God talking to the house of Israel, there's the corporate aspect, the whole house of Israel. Yet you say, here's their objection, the way of the Lord is not just, the way of Adonai, the way of the sovereign is unjust. That's their objection. Clearly, it is a flat rejection of the offer of God for them to repent. It is a rejection of the vision, the clear vision that God has cast before them. And the problem is not informational, you understand. It's not that they didn't have enough information. They had all the information they could need to make an informed decision. To make a a rational and a logical decision. They had all the information. The problem, though, was not informational. It was moral, it was personal, it was theological. It was a moral problem because they loved their sin. People love darkness more than light. That's what we're told in the Gospel of John. It was a personal problem because of the the wickedness that was upon the wicked. It was upon them. Their own wickedness was upon them. And it was a theological problem because they, although they knew God, they did not honor Him or give thanks to Him. They didn't really want the God that had presented Himself to them, had revealed Himself to them. And in fact, they actually hate how God has revealed Himself to them. You know, the proper reaction to being found wanting before the law of God is not to somehow indict God of injustice. That's folly, it's not going to work. The proper reaction is silent conviction and a renunciation of our own righteousness and wickedness. And if we must speak, we ought to say, how unsearchable are His judgments. Romans 11 and verse 33. God's justice is perfect justice. The, The people's iniquity and their rebellion, it's exposed before God. And they stood guilty before Him. And instead of faith in God, faith in Yahweh as the one true and only God, and trusting in His mercy, the mercy of the holy God, they shot accusations at God. They attempted to impugn the righteous character of God as though such a thing were even possible. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. 
people today reject the clear vision that God has provided for us in His Word. And when they are confronted with it, they reject it and they begin to say that God is unjust somehow. What's really going on is people are weighing God's justice and His judgment in their own fallible and imperfect balance. And they're seeking to pass judgment on God's judgment based on their own human perceptions and limited knowledge as preachers. But let me just say, it is not God's knee that will bend to us. It is not the tongue of Yahweh that will confess us as Lord. God forbid. It will be our knee that will bow and bend before the Almighty Lord. And it will be our tongue that confesses Him as Lord. And we would seek to turn things upside down as though we are the potter and He is the clay. The way of Adonai is not just. That was the people's objection. They were claiming that God's way of doing things, the way in which he interacts with his world, is not in conformity with his actual, actual character. They were accusing God of hypocrisy. They were claiming that their own way was right. And their people were basically saying, God, you're inconsistent. And so God indicts the house of Israel, the whole nation. He commands them to repent and to amend their ways. And so, verse 26, 27, this is a, a restatement of everything that we've been looking at. Verse 26, when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he'll die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die. Yahweh's response to the people and their accusations is swift. It's unequivocal. Take a look in the mirror. See, God deals with people based on their actions. And so the apostate will be judged for his apostasy. He'll be judged for his injustice and his sin. He dies for his own unrighteous behavior. Meanwhile, verse 27, when a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he's committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. When a, when a wicked person repents and does what is right and just, he's going to live. He'll have life. And so if that's the way things are, then why is it, O house of Israel, that you are suffering why is it that you're dying? Well, it must be that we're under the judgment of God for our wickedness, and we need to repent. Verse 28, because he considered and turned away from all the transgressions he committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Look, behold the justice of God. He gives life to the righteous one. He passes judgment, even death, on the wicked one. And again, you get the exclamations, he'll surely live. He'll not die. That's a good thing. And so again, if you're dying, that signifies you're under the judgment of God. What ought you to do, house of Israel? You ought to repent. And yet, verse 29, the house of Israel says, the way of Adonai is not just. O house of Israel, are my ways not just? Again, they've got it all turned around. It's your ways that are not just. Once again, God, the God that is revealing himself to them, it's not, he's not the God they want. They love their idol. They want their idol. More than that, God, as Adonai, the sovereign creator and judge, he's not behaving the way I think he should. Not doing the, th the, the things that I think he should. Not doing them the way I think he should. Again, it's the clay calling the potter unjust. It is arrogant blasphemy. In fact, O house of Israel, it's your ways that are unjust. You are the ones who are unjust, house of Israel. And it is so true. 
that the God revealed in Scripture, he's not the God that people want. People have an image of, of who God is and, and what he ought to do and what he should be like. And when that image that they have is confronted with the truth of Scripture, the truth of who God is as he has revealed himself, they reject it. They deny it. They indict God of being not just. We must love God, not for who we think he is. We must love God as he has revealed himself. Otherwise, we end up loving an idol of our own making. Therefore, here's the judgment oracle. The end of everything. Therefore, it's a summation of, of everything that's come before. I will judge you. Logic and reason haven't worked. Israel is darkened in their understanding, futile in their thinking, their hearts are hardened, their ears are stopped, their eyes refuse to see. Logic isn't working with these wicked rebels. And so what remains is an impassioned warning of impending judgment and a heartfelt plea to repent. But at the same time, and this is what is fascinating, the judgment oracle takes on a note of sarcasm. Well, since you don't want me, Israel, since you've rejected God as he's revealed himself, then I guess your national and personal salvation is dependent upon you and what you can do. I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways. There's the corporate and the individual aspects meeting together. House of Israel, each one according to his ways, they meet. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions. Repent and turn away. Turn and turn again. Turn yourself individually and corporately. Turn away from all your transgressions, all the sin that you love. Go ahead. Turn away from it if you can. Cast it away, verse 31. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you've committed. The, again, the very sin you love. Go ahead, throw it away. And here, this is where it really takes on that heavy sarcasm. Make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Because as we saw in chapter 11, who is it that does the heart surgery? Who is it in, in chapter 36 and verse 26? Listen again to what God says. He says, I will give you a new heart. This is God talking. God says, I'll give you the new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in all my statutes and be careful to obey all my commandments, all my rules. I'll do it. But hey, if you reject me, what's left? Go ahead and make yourself a new heart. Give yourself open heart surgery. Take out the heart of stone. Put in your own heart of flesh. Oh, you're so wise, aren't you? Go ahead and do the impossible. Do the very work that I, God is saying, I can, only I can do. Only I can give it to you. That new heart that produces those new affections, those new desires, those new commitments. Even a new spirit. His own spirit, even. Why will you die? Well, we know why. They'll die because of their sin. They'll die because of their rebellion, their wickedness. 
they'll die because of their rejection of God. And so we have, again, a restatement of God's disposition. I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. And here, here's God, the, the rejected and spurned lover, the rejected and spurned life giver, saying, I, it's not what I want. It's not what I desire. And yet, the soul who sins will die. People will die. It, it, God no, has no pleasure in it. And yet, what is it C.S. Lewis says? That there are two kinds of people. There are, are those who in this life say to God, your will be done. And there are those who in the next life, God says, your will be done. If God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, of anyone even, here's the question. Why is it that people refuse to turn and live? And there are, are several and various reasons why people die in their sin. I want to give just a handful. One is because of indifference. They don't so much directly choose death itself, but they choose the pathway of death. And they become comfortable in that path, and they, and they really don't care about changing paths. And so they're kind of just indifferent to the whole thing. That's one reason. Another reason is because of stubbornness, stubborn pride, refusing to yield to the grace of God, and instead producing our, uh, 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 following after our own self-willed, self-centered desires. In other words, people want what they want. They'll not be turned from it. Stubbornness. Or how about the love of sin? I mentioned it earlier. People love darkness more than light. People love their sin. It's precious to them. It is more precious to them than the gold of grace. And so they have love only for their sins. No love for God. They may say things with their lips. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Do you love God? Oh, sure, yeah. And yet their life testifies against what they have confessed with their lips. That they actually love their sin. How about unbelief? It's another reason why people die in their sins. As we've talked about, the, the problem was not intellectual. The problem was a moral problem. It was the fact that they were suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. They were closing their eyes. This is what, uh, this, uh, my boys used to do this when, when they were younger. Where they, they thought if, if they could just cover their eyes, no one could see them, right? Right? Well, Where's Ezekiel, right? Where is he? And if they cover their eyes, he can't see me. And that's what so many people do with God. They close their eyes like a child does, thinking that if I can't see him, he can't see me. It's unbelief. And then there's rejecting Christ. See, we're on this side of the cross, yes? And we know what God did by stepping into human history, doing what we could never do, living a sinless, perfect life, dying the death that was due us, He took our place on the cross. And it is by His blood that all of our sins are forgiven and washed away. Everyone must respond to Christ. And I say to you, everyone does respond to Christ. And they either do it positively to their salvation or negatively in rejecting Him to their condemnation. Rejection of Christ. That's why people will die in their sins. 
And yet God has no pleasure in that. And yet the soul who sins will die. Where are you with all of this? My brother, my sister, my friend. Do you even really want him as he's revealed himself? That's the, that's the question you must answer while we pray. Holy God, we pray that you would tear down the idols of our hearts. That you would give us the grace and the power that we need to do the very same. Lord God, I pray that we would never want the idol that we have made, but that we would truly want you as you have revealed yourself. For each one of us here, Father, that has tasted and seen that you are good, we give you thanks for the new heart. We give you thanks for the new spirit, even your spirit within us. And we pray, Father, that you would give conviction of sin to each one who is here and each one who is watching. Conviction of sin so that they might turn to Christ and receive the new heart that only you can give. They would receive your spirit as well. That you would cause each of us to walk in your statutes and in your rules. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For what you have done and for what you will continue to do. In this life and in the next, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.